My name is Jan Welch, and welcome to the Then and Now Blading podcast. My guest today is Luke Bender, and Luke is pretty much the godfather of the Denver rollerblading scene. He grew up skating there with his brother, Adam. He's the face behind the Colorado road trip, the mile high battle. He's kept those alive for a long time. So Luke, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jan. <laughs> it's great to see you. It's been a while. I want to remind everyone, if they enjoy this episode, hit the like button and subscribe to this channel. If you haven't already, hit that bell icon to be notified of all new uploads. And you can follow me on social media. There's a link in the description below. So Luke, let's get into it. What's your origin story? How did you start skating? How did you get into it? Origin? Um, well, I think technically it would be my older brother directly and uh, basically a bunch of his friends stumbled upon I think it was dare to air and we'd all been skating doing roller hockey you know doing jumps off of things but uh once we saw that and it just basically took off and I think Adam was a few months ahead of me and my if, for those who don't know I have a twin brother and uh yeah grew up started around aggressively eight nine years old so you know it's been pretty much 30 years of the aggressive inline rollerblading so your twin brother, his name is Seth. Yep. And did he blade too? Was it all three of you or just you and Adam? Um, in the beginning, he did rollerblade and we played hockey together on the same uh, roller hockey team. And I think it was probably seventh or maybe sixth grade, sixth grade or something. He uh, ended up falling and breaking his arm and ended up with a giant plate and six screws in his arm and basically was told that uh, moving forward, if he were to fall and hurt himself like that again, he would be you know, losing his arm. So that was, Oh, wow. That. <laughs> That's a pretty serious injury. Yeah. And how much older is Adam than you? Uh, three years, three years. So Adam was the first bender I heard of back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people know Adam from his photo in daily bread where he did the naked with a Mizu or sweat stance on a handicap rail in San Diego. Yeah. There was some amazing moments of nudity, which is still funny how many people confuse us for being the same person. And it's like, Yep, I, I don't skate naked. <laughs> but that was a glorious time in Adam's career. And did Adam skate naked like a lot? Or was it just that one-off that was featured in a magazine and everyone had a lasting impression? No, that was uh, definitely not a one-off. There were uh, many of occasions. And I would say it started in, I don't know, high school sometime. And uh, yeah, after that, it was, I still don't understand why, but it was, you know, a thing for quite a while. It was, I think it was an eye for an eye that ended up skating in up in Minneapolis. Uh, and yeah, like full session on a down rail naked. So yeah, it's not a, it wasn't a one-off. So there's a, several rollerbladers who enjoy being naked. A lot of them go into Colorado road trip. You've got <laughs> your brother. You've got Carson Starnes and his brother. You've yep. got Rob Zabranek. Uh Who have you seen naked the most out of all those people? <laughs> um definitely my brother but then uh probably rob uh, yeah it's uh you know you get used to it it's nothing too surprising you just keep on going like nothing's happening nothing's different and with your brother how long did he skate for before he quit because he's been like out of it for quite a while right yeah he's been you know he still has skates and can you know throw down a sole on my ramp any day um i guess more appropriately a, a topsail um but i would say after going and working for google up in santa cruz he started you know shifting his gears more towards uh, surfing 
and then you know I think there was lack of a scene up there so he you know pretty much fell off there and I think he met up with Rob G a few times and hit the skate park but other than that it's been you know I'd say six years seven years something like that okay so it's actually not as long as I thought I mean I did see him at the Colorado road trip was like four years ago when he had that crazy <laughs> sprinter SUV camper van it was <laughs> Two loads to the ground to make it yep. into the campsites. Got shut down because of his, <laughs> his runners. Yeah. And maybe it's been a little more than that, but yeah, I think. That was hilarious. Yeah. And who was better, you or Adam? <laughs> uh, it depends on the time. Um, I think, you know, back then he was amazing, you know, way better than I was. And, you know, watching what he produced for In the Nines was like, you know, one of the better sections, I would say, in that video. And, you know, a no-name you know, I think he was 17 or 18 when that came out. So, or maybe 16. Um, yeah. And that was, you know, definitely better. And I would ever be at that point, you know, relatively so. And in the nines was made by Dave Temple or who made Correct. that video. And I was yeah. out of Kansas city. And back then the Kansas city scene and the Denver scene were pretty close. Right. I mean, yep. they're you know, like Jeremy oh. Rockwell and Jeremy Morris, uh, yeah. Yuri, Brandon Mateer, you know, Joseph Scholl, uh, E-Rock and, you know, AJ and, you know, everybody. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it was the first time I met any of those guys, I guess the, the connection there is Jeremy Morris and he used to live out here and skated, you know, the same, you know, I think he was a few years older than Adam, but same high school. Um, and yeah, we still actually keep in touch and I lived there, you know, so 2006 to 2008. So there's still a, a strong bond there and still some of the best skaters out there as well. Yeah, that's rad. Because those guys are all super nice and super cool and really good at skating. <laughs> and they had a pretty good, you know, a lot of good skaters for, you know, Denver is a lot different than Kansas City, at least in my experience. Like Denver is almost like a big skate park. You know, <laughs> Kansas City's got a lot of stuff, but yeah, like those, you know, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool scenes there. Um, and how far is Kansas City from Denver? Uh, two KC like proper is about nine hours. Is there any other cities that you guys had a close relationship with? Salt Lake, uh, Albuquerque, and then I'd say there was a pretty good connection to the Wyoming crew. Um, and I think most of them were in Casper, but um, there was, you know, basically the neighboring states that were all centrally located on one highway. So it was nice. That's what was cool about the first Colorado road trip I went on is I met a lot of skaters from states like Wyoming and Montana and stuff that I've never met skaters from any of those places before do a Colorado road trip. So that, I thought that was pretty cool. And same when we went to the Northwest Shred Tour when it was in Montana. Yep. I was able to meet a lot of skaters from places I'd never met before. Like there was those guys from Fort McMurray in Canada and like all sorts of random people. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's what's the best about all those events. You know, it brings people from all over the world. So when you started skating, who was in your original crew and do any of them still skate? Um, I would say original crew like local mostly not you know most of the kids i was skating with were once again three years older than me um but there was mac mckay who's you know since passed uh one of my best friends growing up um but uh i don't even know the the hall family kyle and nick you got uh um, michael or what mike sawinski uh there was i don't know for everything considering when rollerblading was you know coming up at that time there were very few people that you know stuck around with it long enough to be like in the crew in a way you know um but you know alex uh boyd uh the, the whole sampara crew there's a bunch of like older guys who still you know kick it a little bit uh let's see 
but I mean, Sayer was, you know, someone that we skated with quite a bit, you know, I'd say a few years into the beginnings, but he still rips and, you know, just, you know, started that new company with Tori, the uh, new company. Yeah, it's really rad. I have one of his shirts. And I've got something around here somewhere. And he's in New Mexico now. Yep, he's in Taos. Have you met up with him at all out there? No, we tried actually. Uh, me and my girlfriend were just on a trip and uh, passed by. Fish. Mm, and uh, he was uh, a couple months after having his child, so things were didn't quite work out. But he's only a few hours away now, which is awesome. Yeah, that's cool. That's a really cool uh, company he's doing, and he's always done a lot of rad things. And there's a few people living out there in New Mexico now. Isn't um, uh, Philip Moore out there too? Uh, yes, Phillips in, I think he was in Albuquerque. I, I'm okay. not exactly sure, but yeah, I think he's hooked up, yeah, obviously with Sarah a few times. And I think it's a uh, like two hour drive or so, I believe. I don't remember the distance between Taos and Albuquerque. That's not too bad. Yeah. I'd prefer Taos though, if I was going to live there. That's why we stopped there. Our choices were <laughs> Albuquerque or Taos. And it's like, all right, Albuquerque, been there, you know, and it's a little further out of the way. So mm-hmm. we went to Taos. Growing up in Denver, how has the city changed from when you were young? To today i know it's grown a lot a lot of people moved there like what's the city like now compared to how it was when you were a kid um i would say it's just way bigger and for for like a city itself it's not very big um but the population itself and actual physical space that is available um has grown immensely and it's awesome because with all that growth comes you know skate spots and a lot of it is apartments so you know more people more opportunity for skating and something that's been really big is skate parks. And, you know, when I grew up, there was the Boulder, you know, skate park that everyone saw in, you know, Harvard, or was it Hoax 2, uh, Anarchy Across America, and like a couple of crazy, you know, bowl parks in the mountains. Now there's a park every, you know, two, less than two miles, there's two skate parks everywhere. So it's it's been an amazing development and seeing, you know, the the sprawl basically and so yeah you know it's also been good for business bringing you know work and other things to our city so Denver definitely has a lot of amazing skate parks it has i mean it's mainly suburbs now like because yeah like you said Denver is kind of small and it can't grow because it's already can only go up but i think the thing i also like as far as skating goes is the amount of trails you guys have out there oh yeah which is like big wheel blading i mean there's trails everywhere you can go all across the region into the rockies on trails and that's pretty rad um so it's like friendly for all kinds of skating but one thing i noticed there i don't know if that's new or not i'm assuming it is is the amount of traffic you have especially getting into the mountains and how has like the amount of people going into the mountains affected just nature and skiing and all that stuff like enjoying the outdoors going to parks like has that changed for you uh yeah and you hit it on the head and it's i don't want to say they're all weekend warriors you know i think during vacations and a lot of summertime you'll still find people up there on the weekdays but uh what used to be an hour drive to say copper mountain on a saturday could take you four hours there four hours back and then, you know, same traffic's on the hill as well. And the prices accordingly have skyrocketed. So for me, I haven't bought a season pass in the last three years and partially because of knee problems, but mostly because it's just so expensive and you can't go anytime but the middle of the week. Mm-hmm. And it it's frustrating. And, um, but, you know, I think for me, I've been able to with my job, luckily, you know, 
doing freelance stuff that I can go up when I have a day off and there's snow and it's, you know, it could be a Monday morning and generally, unless it's, you know, some sort of event going on that you'll have, you know, that normal hour long drive and nobody on the mountain. And, you know, I think once again, it is mostly weekend warriors. Do you ski or snowboard? Snowboard. And how, and how long have you been snowboarding for? Uh, grew up skiing. I started when I was, I think five or six. Mm -hmm. And so another 30, plus years um and started snowboarding when i I think it was about 14 15 going into high school and been snowboarding ever since so tell me this i always see it written i don't even know how you say it but (laughs) the what what is it what does it mean where'd it come from nailed it uh it came from me and an old friend tyler williams who i skated with in high school and he just moved here from uh, i think it was somewhere in utah outside of salt lake and um not grammatically correct but it's uh fun while having accepted time and it's basically you know live it up and enjoy life because you're not guaranteed tomorrow and it's a sort of a motto awesome i like yeah. it now i know what it actually means <laughs> so many years i've seen it i had no idea what it's, it means it's uh yeah it's kind of like yeah. rob z's motto get your heart right yep exactly <laughs> roll up that's right. That's awesome. I want to ask you when you first did when you first did start aggressive skating. What was the first skates you had? Some Veriflex, like store, you know, Target or something mm-hmm. that were uh, hilariously held together by makeshift grind plates after the frames got grinded through. You know, we pull one wheel out, and uh, I think the first real skates I had was the Tarmac CEs, and those were, you know, night and day. That was the first like legit production of a skate that i've like skated and it was you know life-changing and those are the ones with the that metal bridge grind plate yeah the full wrap around did you skate that grind plate or you take it off no i skated the hell out of it once like the groove melded into the plastic you know it was just one of the most amazing grooves ever i took the grind plate off right away i was like what is this thing (laughs) you know so i was afraid of grinding through them same thing and it was like as soon as that happens these things are useless so you know what's funny i had you know, in the beginning, I skated a lot of Lightning Terraces, and and then eventually they made those CDS Detroit like sole plate things yep. for them, so you could little extend fins. the soles a little bit, a little fins. And I used to do so many Royales, and the plastic was so thin, so it had you would have a hole in the Roy on a boot from doing Royales, <laughs> and every single one of my socks had a hole where the right hole there. in the boot was because <laughs> it was always worth through my socks. That's hilarious. So I thought that was pretty funny. And what skates are you riding now? I'm actually stockpiling skates finally in my life where I'm, you know, got the the cash and a little more time to skate. I just bought the blank uh, Sean Keen's rollerblade, which are amazing. I've got a stupid fat foot, so I just am stuck trying to find wider skates. Um, And actually just threw down on the the new uh, faction skates. Oh, sick. To see those come out. Yeah, like. I can't wait to see those. And that brings me back to the idea of, you know, the soft boot K2 style, super light, um, hopefully a little more resilient to wear and tear. Um, but uh, what was the question there that I just spawned off on? It was what skates do you have now? Oh, yeah. And then I've also got a pair of the basements, which I'm, you know, struggling with because they are tighter around my uh, shoe box. And then uh, some Colts. So, and then of course, uh, I've got a Big wheel pair of uh, Seba FR1, so three by one tens. Got a plethora. 
Do you skate with the uh, Dust Crew at all? Do you, the Denver Urban Skate? Yep, went out last night and did some laps around Wash Park. Awesome. Got in three laps, so eight miles or something like that. When did you uh, start doing big wheel blading? Uh, a couple years ago, basically with Dust. And it was funny because I started out with, you know, a setup of some Anna Rocker BS, you know, just checking it out. And then I went to my full wish frame setup, you know, 72. Like, all right, none of this is going to cut it. So, you know, once again, thought I would invest in the, the proper tool, which is amazing, you know, for the first time skating those 110s and you know, just effortlessly cruising. So it's an amazing opportunity for me, especially getting older, just to keep skating and stay fit, you know. Right. Yeah, it's so much fun to cruise yeah. in the city. Oh, I yeah. went on a couple of dust skates before. It was pretty fun. Like right when I first started, when I nice. moved, when I came to Denver, right when I moved to uh, Vermont. So yep. was that like four years ago, whatever. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And that's one thing I missed the most about being so rural is urban skates. Uh, yeah. I miss them. Well, and it's impressive because like, I mean, just last night there, I mean, it was, you know, started out at 50, but by the time we were done, it was, you know, mid thirties. And I think there were six people who was their first, skate so come summertime i'm feeling this year you know with the the known covid boost to rollerblading we'll have skates with you know probably over 100 people so it's amazing yeah it's going to be intense and rachel did a really good job putting that all together organizing it and yeah it's been you know outsourced to some other people that you know help out and um it's become a community which is great because you know obviously she can't be available for all of them yeah the but the organizing and the you know legitimacy of something so just natural is amazing and I saw through her, like, I don't know, last year, that there's a shop now in Denver, like Death and Glory, yep. that sells aggressive skates and rec skates. And how's that shop? It's amazing. And for those who don't know, they are the leading cash sponsor to the Mile High Battle for the last couple of years, throwing down large, large chunks of cash. Um, but they, I think, mainly cater to, I would say, roller skating. But they, the owners are totally, you know, he's a rollerblader, so totally into it and you know, if you want something they don't have, they'll get it for you. And it's just amazing to go try a pair of skates on, you know, they stock all sorts of, you know, big wheel to aggressive wheels, you know, all the good stuff. So it's it's been quite a while since we've had a, a skate shop anywhere near Denver. Yeah. I can't even think of what the last shop was. What was the shop in Denver? BC Surf and Sport, which was like the, you know, national crap. Um, they were in all the malls. Um, there was soak shop there was you know there was some old one of the first skate shops that i ever had you know skated for actually it was sponsored by them was uh what was that place called um great grand west out was it grand west i think it was uh, grand west but yeah it was there's only been a handful and i think there actually is now another shop that's opening up in the springs i could be wrong i have to look into that for your work you said you do freelance you do filming i mean photography is that correct Uh, corporate mostly live event production live event production yeah directing you know switching uh engineering basically wiring the systems and uh projection all sorts of stuff so anything that you see in a concert or a corporate event i'm behind the screens there pushing buttons that's what i do and how do you get into that line of work rollerblading (laughs) compliments of you know growing up filming you know once again following my brother's you know path of uh I mean, he was a big computer nerd, you know, works for Google now, had one of the first Macs and built, you know, his own capture scratch and all sorts of stuff and learned to film skating. And the digital side, you know, basically is what we're still doing now, editing. And I've been doing that since 
I think our, we got our first camera when I was probably around 10 or 11. Um, so, and went to school for film, didn't see much of a real marketplace for that skill, uh, in Denver at least, you know, and I wasn't trying to, you know, relocate. So looking around, I basically started filming ski videos for an old rollerblader and then uh, had some, you know, basically got to the point where there was no more going forward. So I'd moved on. And two days later, got a call from an old rollerblader from uh, Des Moines, Jeremiah Ludeman. And he hooked me up with a corporate gig filming a guy on a stage that was eight feet wide on a giant studio config. And I was like, wait, this is a job? You pay people for this? You know, like I'm used to tracking, chasing people with a handheld camera on skates through skate parks, you know, like this is like amazingly easy. <laughs> so, and, you know, one thing led to another and now I'm the one directing. So that's really cool. That's, congratulations. That sounds like a lot of fun. Sometimes, sometimes <laughs> it's a giant, stressful ball of like madness. So have you done any, uh, any really cool assignments? Like yeah, I do. Um, I think, let me think all sorts of, you know, big outdoor you know, rock and roll stuff and actually filming wise, I got hooked up once again through, uh, uh, Joe Esquivel in Chicago, who hooked me up with the Riot Fest guys. Oh, and cool. I got to be like one-on-one, -on -one, you know, the only camera, I guess there was, I think we had three video and one photo to cover four stages. Um, maybe it was four, but, um, we were only the ones allowed, you know, in the pit after the three songs, you know, backstage on stage, you name it you know, Riot Fest, you know, D Antward soul to, you know, Dropkick Murphys and Slayer, Wu-Tang, you know, I brought my camera into the mosh pit at Slayer, you know, it was Sick. insane. Yeah. And the director was right after they got in trouble in Chicago um, and all their cameras got like rained on and covered in mud. So like I was out there and he was like, you can't do that. You know, it's like, yeah, I can. It's my gear. And it was awesome. You know, it was like, you know, uh, I think I enjoy the music stuff more um, than the corporate stuff. And I got to do, what was it? Uh, it wasn't, I guess it was an inauguration party for uh, uh, Jared Polis here in Denver. And um, Cindy Lauper and Nathaniel Rateliff played. And it was just like, wait, what, who? You know, and we're in the Nature and History Museum and giant speaker system, you know, shaking artifacts on the walls. And, you know, some of that stuff is, you know, super exciting. But then you also get to work for, you know, uh, all sorts of, nonprofits raising money for all you know amazing different events you know and causes and you know getting a pulse on the market just did an event for uh charles schwab and another one for uh tcf bank and it's like or what was it no caldwell and you know so it spans the gamut and keeps things fresh and sometimes it's just boring business but other times it's insight and crazy science so yeah it sounds really rad so with your start in filming skating, I know you made a lot of the edits for the Malhai Battle and for the Colorado Road Trip. Uh, what about, did you make any like full skate length skate videos or like skate yeah. edits, profiles or anything? I uh, made it, the last thing I made that was just like me was a uh, edit for Nolan, my old roommate, Wojciechowski. And that was one of the more impressive like skating adventures I've ever seen. Um, it was business, you know, and both of us living together, super busy, knowing our schedules. It was like, all right, here's my checklist. I got two spots. We're getting it. And we got 30 minutes. We're going. And it's just no warm ups, you know, and one of the gnarliest things I've ever seen, you know, just like 15 rails that are gapped by like a foot or two feet. And he topsled, you know, through all of them. And it took him, I don't know, 20 minutes that, I mean, just crazy stuff. And then, um, 
man, I think it took us a couple, not even a month to shoot the whole thing. And so the turnaround and the business aspect was amazing. And then um, like a full length video, last thing I did was with Billy Koska and uh, Not a Lifeboat. And that was long, long time ago. And that was- I don't think I saw that. Oh, really? Yeah. Check it out. It's- Is it on YouTube? Um, I uploaded it to Vimeo, I believe. It was taken down, um, but if you can't find it, I've got a copy of it. Cool. So. I'll uh, I'll definitely hit you up if I can't find it. Yeah. I want to see that. It's amazing. And Nolan is amazing skater. Oh yeah, he's burly, crazy stunt skater. Yes. Uh, did he ever do that transfer that I that we spent all day trying to film? Was it was you, me, Jared, and and Nolan? He was trying to do that kink trail down oh. and then transfer um i don't think he ever got that i could be wrong though at least not while i was there i didn't see it go into anything but because that was a pretty gnarly rail. i mean he had it and he just would fall at the very end yeah and that's i mean some of the stuff he's done is downright insane i don't you know you drive by you don't even think about it and it's you know oh, yeah i'm gonna go do that thing over there i'm like Psh, what okay good luck growing up who were your favorite skaters favorite skaters um let's see here i mean the people that i ended up you know like geeking out on for the first time ever and you know um is it like nis 94 95 you know running into dave kolosh you know and john julio and i actually still have a photo that i shot of julio when i was i think nine or eight at the reservoir at NIST doing a, you know, classic rocket fish on the Bauer box and Rad. you know AJ Jackson and, you know, Mark Neppel and all those guys, you know, it was uh, Matty Mance and, you know, uh, what's his face, Corey Nelson from mm -hmm. Fort Collins and uh, all sorts of people. And uh, it just keeps going. And, you know, Andy Cruz, some of the, you know, more iconic people that I would look up to. Yeah, I filmed a little bit with Corey Nelson when he came to Austin for MTV Sports and Music Fest. Yeah. <laughs> and I believe it was like 1997 or 98, something like that. Um, it was like Tim Ward and him and Roadhouse and Feinberg. And nice. we went street skating. It was pretty fun. I had some clips in one of my old videos that I put oh, yeah. on my YouTube recently, I believe. Or no, I put it on my Patreon page. So check out the Patreon page in the description below. Sound effects. <laughs> for link. <laughs> All right. Oh, okay. And who are your favorite skaters today? Today, um, I would say I'm really into uh, Montre. He just goes so hard and still so solid. And I mean, he's been doing it for so long. Um, and uh, who else can I say? There's so many people skating now. And I think that's one of the most amazing things that's going on right now. Um, seeing, I mean, go on Instagram and you can watch all the skating in the world um, just happen. Watching Demetrius come back right now is amazing. You know, still Aragon's getting out there and he's still one of the most amazing skaters after, you know, he's gone, you know, taken away. Um, but the, uh, let's see, who else can I think of that is crushing right now? Um, I don't know, I'm drawing a complete blank. What's uh, some favorite skaters? There's just too many, you know, like locally, Kyle Von Dang has been crushing, you know, watching uh, Ian Walker's recent uh, Crazy Pills film with everyone in there is 
doing amazing mm-hmm. you know and john bellino crushing it you know the whole mesmer crew all of them and it's there's so much and every day it's another person who's doing something that you've never seen before which is you know blowing my mind i can't even keep up with it i want to know about puppy facials <laughs> uh it, it was a road trip story you know another a more amazing moment of uh jeremy spira's dog uh humping my dog's face dakota and ejaculating on her face and yeah. that is a puppy facial that is <laughs> that's yeah that's not what i was expecting but <laughs> somebody said to ask and then they got it that was a good one and up Jeremy Spira, who's also been crushing from Denver forever, you know, also one of the best skaters out there right now, I'd say. So, oh, Jeremy is Jeremy amazing, Spira. and he always has been. Yeah. Really, I've always enjoyed his skating, and he's just a really nice guy. Yeah. He's really cool, and he's a great asset to Denver. Yeah. Great so, ambassador, too. He's been yeah. and supporting and throwing down, basically. And he hasn't aged. Yeah. He you know, the same. <laughs> got great genes. <laughs> And, uh, and okay, so to Denver skaters, what is the best trick you've ever witnessed a Denver skater do? Um, in person, uh, that's a hard one. With all the battles, it's like next to impossible to think about it. I think that topsail I was talking about that Nolan did with those transfers was like one of the more exciting things that I've ever seen watching someone do. Um, same with that gnarly kink trail that he saw just it's like 30 flat 30 or something just mock 10 and um but i think aragon jumping the reservoir gap that is insane i believe colin carr might have done it or tried it as well um who, you know also another amazing skater back in the day who threw down um but there's that's a that's a loaded question um now I'm going to go with Nolan's top soul. <laughs> All right. Nolan's the winner. Congratulations, Nolan. And uh, who's your favorite Colorado rollerblader? Another ever, loaded question. Ever or right now? Let's say uh, right now. Oh, man, right now. I think I might say Jeremy Spira. Like, once again. A good choice. Yeah, he's just been cruising, you know, and just pushing constantly and, you know, making his own style and, you know, just doing it right. And going back to Aragon, I know one thing I experienced every time I go to Denver is you drive somewhere, you're like, oh, look at that rail. And somebody's <laughs> like, Aragon killed it. Aragon killed it. Aragon did this. He did, you know, 360 top sold 900 out or whatever. Yep. How, has Aragon literally killed every spot in Denver? Most of the old ones, for sure. And it's always nice to, you know, shut your mouth and wait for someone to figure that out because it's, some people get turned off by it and I think it's awesome, you know, and it's, you show up to a spot and I don't give a crap what Aragon did on it, you know, like sweet, I'm still going to skate here. But when it comes to people getting stoked on their clip being, you know, something special and someone's like, Oh yeah, check this Aragon. I edit out from, you know, 12 years ago and he crushed that spot. Um, so luckily for most of the skaters now, there's a bunch of new stuff spot wise popping up that Aragon hasn't shredded. So there's, there's plenty of potential to, get out from under the shadow of Aragon. Who filmed Aragon mostly back in those days? Um, I'd say it depended. Um, I would, I honestly not even sure. I would say, uh, people who were traveling, um, like for, you know, AJ, you know, people who are actually shooting their own videos, traveling kind of stuff. Um, but 
I would assume Courtney and some of the guys that he was hanging out with, um, he was up north from where I was, you know, so. How many of the old Denver spots have been capped now? Like, has there been a lot of, have they capped a lot of spots there? Or is everything still pretty skatable? There's a couple of spots that have been capped, but there has also been a major uh, resurgence of uncapping. So there are a lot of spots that have been re vitalized and um i believe the s rail which is one of the more iconic spots in the state up in boulder was decapped and they put some stupid like doily you know unskatable things on it after they'd put these rivets in it that you could skate over which was really hilarious because they hated it and it sounded like a you know train track car coming down the or what, train coming down the train tracks the whole way and it was you know a hilarious affront to their attempts but um yeah i think Actually, I was talking to somebody the other day about uh, the amount of spots they've seen that have been uncapped. So, so by the S rails, there was those ledges, like the stair ledges, that were in old videos. Yep. And I remember seeing those ledges and being like, "I gotta skate those." So <laughs> I don't know. It was like '97 or '98. My dad and I went to Colorado, and that's like one of the destinations we had to go to. Yep. And I skated those ledges, and they were awesome. Yeah. At the dorms. Yeah. Fox Lady Rail. Super cool. Yeah, was it Brian Smith who front sided one after talking about boxes? Yep, was moving in. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's a long time ago. Yep. What's your favorite skate spots in Denver? Um, right now there are a ton of awesome ledges that have been you know jumping up. Um, but actual like I guess it's nice because one of the spots we had for the battle has a bunch of sweet ledges and they put in a skate park. Um couple, I don't know, 300 yards away. That's a little bit, you know, basic, but to have a little bit of transition with some ledges is pretty sweet. And that's off, uh, what is that? I forget the San Sancho something park, um, Pancho. Uh, but been skating mostly parks and that's, there's just so much of it. And actually would love to get back out and do some more street, but time and energy is limited. So. And you have your mini ramp at your house. How often do you skate that? Um, I try to skate it about once a week. Uh, it's harder sometimes, of course, during the winter, it gets snowed on. So I'm more cleaning it than skating it. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and I'd say during the summer, I get out a little bit more, depending on physical abilities and availability. It's a really big ramp, so it's got to take a long time to clean it up. So it keeps me fit in the winter. It's, uh, <laughs> it takes, depending on the snow, a couple of hours, so. And I have a snowblower that I used to use, but I've got to get a repair on it. I'm having a, a leak in my carb, so. How big is the ramp? Uh, it's 48 feet wide and just under seven feet tall. And uh, when did you decide to build it? Like, and what made you want to build this big ramp? Um. Well, it's, you know, a childhood dream of mine. You know, it was something that didn't really exist growing up in most of the country or the world. Uh, but basically, me... Frank Stoner, you know, Kevin Barr, and Jared McBay were all hanging out playing dominoes regularly at Frank's house. And we put together an idea to uh, pool our money, go find a piece of land out east, you know, hopefully with a warehouse, and build a ramp. And we started budgeting and figuring it all out. And I ended up buying a house in Denver in the middle of that that had a half an acre. So it's like, all right, well, we don't need to move out east or, you know, find some warehouse. We've got my property. And then that was pretty much it. And we started, I think, 20, was it 2017, 2018? Yeah, summer of 2018. So it's been 
going on four. Is it that yeah. long? I don't know. Yeah, it's I been that long because I moved. Let me see. I moved to Vermont in December of 2017. And I stopped in Denver in a way like we had said earlier. And the first stop in Denver was your house. Because when I was driving, I got stuck in a blizzard in Colorado Springs. It wasn't even snowing in Denver. And I didn't have snow tires. It was terrible. There was wrecks everywhere. I had to pee. I remember getting off of your exit and finally like peeing behind a building. And it wasn't even <laughs> snowing there. It was just like all snow on the way there. Um, and it was all you guys hanging out the ramp. And I came over and hung out. And it was really cool. And you also live pretty close to Frank Stoner, right? Yeah, we're less like a half a mile from each other or so and is he still skating at all does he come to the ramp uh, it's been a little while but every once in a while he'll pull out the the gear and roll over and is you know still shreds still can do some of the crazier things you've ever seen on a ramp or anywhere for that matter he's always been such an amazing mini ramp skater and i know back in the day he could do everything switch natural i don't know, know if he still can but he definitely used to be able to do it all that's definitely one of the things that we deal with on the ramp is trying to play, you know, switch or natural or just, you know, we're tricks that I've stopped trying to even try, you know, decades ago. Frank will inspire you to try that. <laughs> it's like, all right, yeah, switch top acids that I don't ever do. Now is the time to learn that on the ramp. Thanks, Frank. <laughs> like, It's awesome. What skaters have completely destroyed the ramp? Um, One of the best destroyers was uh garrett sloby actually oh wow um, before the road trip just went berserker you know and he that guy is amazing energy wise skating wise and he's boosting airs and grinding left and right and it's just like you know that guy is amazing um jared banning has destroyed the hell out of the ramp as well as kyle von dangen the two of them with the sub box and uh von dagon von dragon um they are you know, some of the crazy, I think Kyle did like 540 true soul or something on the sub box or something crazy like that, you know, just insane stuff. And then he boosts airs and I'm still trying to get uh, Aragon to come over here and shred it. Cause he's, uh, he would probably be up there in the top two. Yeah. That'd be cool. I definitely seen some really cool banning footage from that ramp. He shreds. He's such a good skater. Yeah. And do you have any plans to make any additions to the ramp? Um, not, directly to the ramp as the ramp itself um we're having some structural issues with the railings just kind of getting flimsy so i'm gonna mm -hmm. put a, a grind box on the whole south side okay create a seat slash a brace and a box um that's but, gonna be cool yeah and i'm hoping to take the mastaba which is next to it the giant hill and put a box off of that going the other direction um to create some of a down ledge situation yeah that'd be rad it's going to be like a, a mini Clark Kirkman compound. Yeah, right. It's like <laughs> between him and uh, Tim, it's just like, what, how how do you guys do this? You know, it's like. <laughs> I'd say you're in third place. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what's his name out in uh, California? Deb, uh, he's got a, like that spine pump ramp. Uh, what the hell is his name? I forget. Yeah, I've, I've seen a few. Yeah, there's actually a few people with some really cool setups. Yeah. I'd say Tim is up like on in my mind the best but yeah what clark is doing with the down rails and the kink ledges and it's just like man i'm excited to get out there someday yeah i really want to get out there too yeah be pretty cool and how many times have you had to resheet that ramp um total devastation like 
less than, I don't know, it was like four days after we actually completed it, we were, you know, stupid and thought we'd treated this masonite to where it would actually be resistant to water. And that was stupid. Um, and it destroyed it with, like, once again, within three days, it was had to be pulled up and then we shipped it to plywood. And I think I've resheeted just the trans, the flat bottom really is the only one that gets a problem uh, where the water sits. Uh, but I think five, five times, something like that. And we actually just put for the fifth time, we went and, you know, spent that extra, like a lot more money, <laughs> excuse me, uh, spent a lot more money and uh, paid for the gator skins. So now we've got okay. something that I hopefully won't have to resheet for quite a, like quite a long time. Oh, that'd be really rad. I can't wait to get out to Denver again and oh, touch your ramp and do some street skating and all sorts of stuff. It's such a skate paradise. I always feel like Denver's like the, the Barcelona of the United States, <laughs> you know, as far as like skate spots and skating, like not maybe as many skaters, you know, yep. but it does have a big scene. And how do the neighbors react to your ramp? Have you had any issues? No. Um, everyone kind of seems to not care. The couple of people came out and once we started building to the point where they knew it was a ramp to check it out um there was one hilarious story where nolan was i think he was back there prepping wood or something and the neighbor you know to the north of us was screaming like hey man what are you doing back there and nolan said we're making a deck and the guy just brushed it off and then you know another it's like a week later we started putting the transitions up and the guy came out and started screaming to his kids look kids they turned their deck into a skate park <laughs> it's just like oh man this is great you know like and he does have like this crazy accent that's just i mean it's just hilarious and so that's really just, funny but nobody seems to care and we've only had a few strangers try and hop the fence i don't know really to skate it's just you know we have a, we caddy corner up to a park so there's opportunity for people to see it have you had random people like come to ask to skate your ramp Apparently, there was one time where a younger girl showed up while I wasn't here, and um, my roommate at the time, Jesse, answered the door, and she had a skateboard, and I guess saw it from the park and wanted to come and skate, and he was just like, no, sorry, like, not not cool, but that's it. That's surprising, because, I mean, it's a pretty sizable ramp. I would assume oh, yeah. people would be, like, knocking your door all day. <laughs> <laughs> And I know one incident you had to ramp was the dog getting stuck underneath it. What <laughs> happened and how did you get it out? Oh man, that was uh, Megan, uh, her dog Arlo, who was a, I don't know, he was five, six months maybe at the time. Um, I think something like that. But very rambunctious and just happy go lucky guy, you know, just doesn't, it's like oblivious in a good way, you know. And we didn't see him go under there. We assumed that he chased something, but it was on New Year's Day. Uh, was it two years ago now? Um, had to have been two New Year's ago. But uh, we couldn't find him. And we were, you know, outside looking for him, assuming he jumped the fence or something. And all of a sudden you could hear him, like, playing with him, like, running under the ramp. And it's, you know, this far off the ground, so you can't really run. He's, like, on his side. And you can hear him. And he made it under the first set of, like, uh, rafters or uh, beams so we couldn't see him you know from the back of the transition where he got in and so we tried to we, we started looking at pulling up the screws but it was you know three sheets applied deep and they're you know crossed over at 90 degrees so we'd have to pull up like eight or nine sheets that are covered in ice we're like this is never going to work so pulled out the circular saw and cut him out <laughs> and he just super happy loved it had no issues with the saw you know 
millimeters from his head. And as soon as he got out, he wanted right back in. So we had to like board up the entire thing. And it was just like, oh my God, you're so ridiculous. <laughs> he didn't learn his lesson. <laughs> yeah, we were actually just talking about it last night at, at Dust. Megan and uh, Nolan were there with Arlo and Dakota. It's like, oh man, this is. <laughs> That's funny. That's really funny. I posted some requests for questions for you from people. Uh-oh. And one thing people brought up was your relationship with food. <laughs> now, what is your relationship with food? People say you eat a lot in one sitting. Is this true? It is true. I can eat a lot. And jokingly growing up, there was, was it the MTV show, like, what was it? Uh, there was an episode about food fighting and it was just a joke. You know, was it, what the hell is it? Like Kobayashi practicing to eat as much food as he could and i'd tell my mom you know i'd eat all the food on the table for everyone's leftovers plus my giant burrito that nobody ever finishes and it's just like you know i i think i'm more of a binger in a way that is totally not healthy but when i get to eating it might be two meals worth of food in a way and it's you know it can get pretty gluttonous (laughs) what's the most you've ever eaten in one sitting uh a lot (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. Like, uh, I mean, two Chipotle burritos isn't crazy. Like, that's not much, you know. I mean, it's it's a lot, but that's like a that would be in the near the top. But you can, I'm guessing, some buffet or some sushi or some Taco Bell party that you know went crazy. Buffets are the worst. Yep. Buffets always get you. <laughs> yeah, and then sushi, especially. We used to have a bunch of all you can eat sushi places, and that. Got me too. It's um, yeah. And as somebody mentioned, I don't know what this is. It sounds kind of like perverse, but boofing chicken nuggets. Boofing chicken nuggets. What does that mean? <laughs> um, I'm guessing that's in relation to the now traditional chicken skipping contest on the road trip where we skip chicken nuggets on the lake. That's funny. When did that start? Because I don't remember that happening when I was there. Um, it's been a few years now. Basically, Zach Nelson stopped at uh, McDonald's on the way back. I think we were in uh, Edwards, so there's a couple of opportunities. I think there's one McDonald's between there and camp and bought 200 chicken nuggets and you know just blew their minds and showed up. And there was a you know, people were throwing down. There was like a pool put up of you know a bunch of beers, some hot dogs, and it was judged and whoever skipped the longest and there was playoffs and <laughs> it was a whole thing that's funny yeah i know a lot of people eat a lot of really bad junk food on the Colorado road trip yep and i also remember at one of the campsites jeremy morris and jeremy rockwell eating lobster cooking lobster in the gr- yeah. on the oh, fire there. you were there <laughs> what is it surf and turf <laughs> yeah i was uh i was really jealous yeah, yeah after a while you, you kind of develop some techniques or just the desire to eat something legitimate it's a little little more special when you're out there camping yeah so let's talk about the colorado road trip a little bit um when did the colorado road trip start it's a, i believe it's like 25 years now this year or going this is i think 24 so Started close 99 it's yep. almost a quarter of a century old yeah <laughs> it's been drinking for a while now how did it start like who were the original people to put it together um, originally it was, uh, Sarah Danforth, Tyler Higgins, uh, Connor and myself, Mac McKay and Charles Peng. 
and that was everybody, two cars, and it started with uh, the year that Sayre and Tyler uh, were graduating. So they decided they were going to have a camping trip, you know, skate and see what happens. No idea, just headed west and got there and, you know, hit all those, I think there were three, maybe four parks at that time, um, and now they're like 20 parks in the mountains. Um, and we just kind of found the local park and skated and then asked the local where we should go camp. And it's changed drastically in the last 24 years or whatever. But um, it was, uh, you know, basically a see you later. We're going to college party. And the Colorado road trip hasn't really changed as far as a party. It gets pretty crazy. <laughs> and I feel like part of it is because it's been around for 25 years and people are now older and they work in their careers. And it's like they're one time in a year to like do everything that they would have done in a year in like a six day period. That's, that's a very good description. And it's interesting too, because there are the people who it's their first time with that same, like they've never been and they've are in that same, you know, description that you just described and they go nuts, you know, full craziness the whole night, every night. And uh, then there's the, older people who've been on it you know 15 to 20 years and they're just over it you know and it's like there's not separate camps but people will intentionally camp further away from the main fire or whatever that's what i do yeah (laughs) it's like and then there's people who try to not camp next to you because you snore so much you know yeah (laughs) it's like all right how far away is yawn right now like i'm gonna get my earplugs in a quarter mile i'll be good um but yeah and it's 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 interesting and the same with you know the difference in the way people camp and the like Larkin and uh, K-Fed used to bring nothing on the road trip and just like sleep next to the fire pit and bum hot dogs. And like, that's it, you know, didn't bring a tent, didn't bring anything. And it's crazy, you know? So it's nuts. I mean, people get so trashed and they don't sleep. I mean, some people don't sleep at all. They like party all night, do whatever, and then skate all day. Or they get completely wasted. Like when we, when Rob Z was there. Yep. And then slept all day, didn't didn't see one skate park. <laughs> yep. And that's something that people don't think about a lot is the altitude. In the last few years, we've been just outside Leadville at 11,000 feet. You know, even for me, you know, I go out there early to scout the site and, you know, put down decoy tents to hold the space. And holy crap, like the first day you drink two beers and go for a hike and you're lightheaded. And I'm, you know, I'm mm-hmm. from here, but I'm at 5,000 feet, not 11. And so you get somebody from Austin showing up to, I think that was the night when we were outside of uh, Keystone and got shit faced, butt naked and, you know, hanging out at, you know, almost tree line, just pounding it. And it's like, yep, drinking tequila all night long. And the next morning, it's like, yep, that dude's fucked, you know, <laughs> like literally just there's never, you can't get out of it, you know, and that's hydrate, roll up. I got altitude sickness there. Uh, I don't know that one year. We went early. We flew in, and then Jared took us on a hike up some, you know, fourteen thousand foot mountain or whatever. First, first day there, and I got the worst altitude sickness. I mean, Probably Mount Albert. It was miserable. Um, one of the worst experiences I've ever had. <laughs> but I was also one of the only people to climb the mountain. Everyone else yeah. pushed out. It was just me, Jared, and uh, and the guy he was living with. I forgot his name. They were all probably way less miserable than you. So, yeah, they were way less miserable. <laughs> so when did you sort of take the reins yourself? Because a lot of those guys stepped away and you've been continuing it for a long time now. Kind of the main guy in charge, right? 
Yeah, I mean, it's gotten to the point where, you know, thanks to the internet, there is, you know, I can deflect to the masses and spread information that people can rely on um, without having to have one person in charge and follow. Like the first few years when there wasn't even cell service, you know, we would have to stay in a caravan. We had radios, um, which was awesome. You know, you're mobbing from, you know, I don't know, uh, Glenwood going to Grand Junction, cruising down through the canyon with like 12 cars and a just a amazing chain of chaos, you know, <laughs> and it's like not, not a road rage war like race to the park, but it was like you felt like this force moving down the mountain. Um, but now, and that was, you know, I think Sayer and them were still around for the, you know, three, four years hanging out. And Tyler actually went to school in Boulder, so he was still there. Um, but yeah, I think after about four years and then I was uh, in college, uh, just kept keeping it going, you know, and it wasn't, it's not something I do. It's, you know, I, if I didn't do it, everyone would still do it anyways, you know, mm -hmm. it's at that point and it's awesome. And it's, we did, you know, originally it was just a traveling, you know, circus that every day you'd pack up and move to the next spot. Um, and originally it was just Friday and Saturday night, you know, we come back Sunday and that was it. Um, since it's turned into up to a week and then depending you know, a little more on either side, depending on what you want to do. And the route has drastically shifted from, you know, it was all on I-70. And we actually did the, I think it was the, for the 20th, we went back and did the original route. Of course, it's changed because we were camping for six to, you know, I think we managed to like 60 people. But now it's like upwards of 100. So you got to find somewhere where, you know, 30 to 50 cars can get to. And camping for that many people and, you know, trees and cover and you know there's a lot of logistics that go into it and uh yeah it's been pretty amazing to see the you know the traject the the trajectory on where it's going and you know hopefully this year we can actually do another moving trip hard part is uh forest fires that we've been struggling with. yeah the moving trips are my favorite personally i love just driving and seeing the scenery and with the one campsite i think my biggest problem with it is I never see anyone at the skate parks. Like everyone goes and does different stuff, right? And with the movie trip, everyone's kind of doing the same thing. And I like that more because just people want to see, I don't even see them the whole week, you know? Um, That's crazy. How did you, like with the growth of the tenants, uh, you had to find a new campsites, like we said. How did you actually scout and find those campsites? Lots of driving. Uh, basically, me, Nolan, and two dogs got in the Subaru and drove every single forest road off of every main road that made some sort of sense for a route for skate parks. Um, hundreds of miles and just bumpy, crazy roads. And you get to the point where it's like, all right, you need an off wheel or four wheel drive, like off road vehicle to get to this. Like we can't do this, go back, you know? And it's like, Oh, this spot's great, but you can't park here or you have to hike your stuff in here. Or, um, and some of that actually has been helpful to, for me personally, cause I've got, a whole database of camping sites but um when the moving trip started we've got to the point where people are staying through monday tuesday where we get away with doing some of those smaller spots um, like telluride which is one of the most skipped spots because it's six hours away from denver um and it's usually sunday night we drive there uh or monday depending on the trip and it's the most amazing part you know and so there's you know constantly changing but with the lower numbers you can still manage to do it Telluride is my favorite 
for sure. And there's also the gondola you can take up, which is free, to go to the top and see everything, which which is really rad. And you can hike down, mountain bike down, whatever. It's pretty cool. When did you decide, or when and why did you decide to go from the road trip, the traditional road trip you guys did around the state to one campsite? Well, there's a number of reasons. One of them is the the fire bans. And uh, it really sucks to go from, you know, high desert, no fire, you know, down to the mountains, no fire. And then one night you get fire. Um, and there was, I think, two years now where that's pretty much been the case where there's been a fire ban the entire time except for the last spot. And most people don't even get to see that. And so nighttime, everyone's freezing cold and they can't do anything. Most of the people cook on the fire. So it made existence really difficult. Um, but for something you already brought up, uh, a lot of the people are you know, getting older and they do want to see their friends and they want to hang out with a bunch of rollerbladers, but they don't even skate. There's a number of people who've never brought their skates on the road trip. You know, and they're coming to see their friends to go, you know, rafting, climbing, fishing, hiking. And that's what you are afforded at the single campsite because you know where the campsite is. You don't have to, you know, follow the, the carpool or pick up your camp and move it that day. And so and that's something I really like, which is awesome. And, you know, we've last I guess last two years, thanks to COVID, we've been kind of avoiding creating a central campsite. Um, the first year we did that, we went out early and put up a bunch of giant tarps and made Tarp City and, you know, had speakers and, you know, power for people to plug in their stuff. And, you know, it became like a little, like a fort that was ours, you know. Was, I was there. Yeah, it's epic. <laughs> and it changes things. It's like people are bringing espresso makers and, you know, like mansion sized tents, you know, and it's like, if you don't have to pick up, yeah. You know, I had a generator and we're playing N64 in the middle of the woods, you know, it's like, yeah, this is awesome, you know, but some people want to go to sleep early and wake up and go climb a 14er like awesome have fun you know which if we're moving you can't really do that well in Leadville, you're already on a 14er right yeah <laughs> close you're like <laughs> right at the base of one yeah you just got to start walking up so the Leadville skate park for people who don't know it's the highest elevated skate park in the country it's also like the highest elevated town in the country yep. and it's very difficult to skate if you're not uh conditioned or if you're like a smoker or unhealthy it's definitely not a easy park no and that's once again the one of the sad bittersweet moments of the road trip is it is one of the most amazing parks on the trip but it's also at such high altitudes you can't enjoy it <laughs> you know <laughs> like unless you get up there early and once again with the single site i see a lot of people who've like figured that out and they'll wait towards the end of the trip to go hit leadville or hit it on their way out because they're as most acclimated as possible. Um, but yeah, it's it's brutal. And even me, same thing. You know, If you go up there dehydrated and just try and pump around, you'll get sick. It's just like, oh, I can't take it. Which parks on the road trip do you look forward to skating the most every year? Uh, best parks on the road trip? I would say one of my favorites is Edwards. Um, tons of street style stuff, which is what I really love to do. But also cool little snake run and it's right next to the river so you get you know everybody even the people who don't want to skate who want to show up and go chill in the river so that one's probably up there uh, i really like Snowmass just for its flow and size it's way more compact um and then which one of the harder ones that we haven't gone to 
in a while, which hopefully this year I'm going to try to do the southwest route, which will put us through Gunnison, which has like one of the nicest quarter pipes I've ever skated in like an outdoor free park. It's like eight feet tall, you know, 30, you know, something feet wide. And it's comes out to a wave, you know, so super sweet. And um, it is just from the single campsite a little far. I think it's like a three hour drive. So mm-hmm. that is a really cool park. Yeah. And the swimming holes on the trip are really nice, but if you haven't been, they're really cold. <laughs> Almost all of them are really cold. Um, what's your favorite place to swim on the trip? Um, I really like the river in uh, Edwards, but you know they're all fun. Going just to Punchbowl and watching people jump that thing is impressive. And I've mm-hmm. only once seen someone go from like the top top, which is like if you don't know it's you have to clear like 20 feet and then there's a ledge and it's probably 50 60 feet into a river that's you know if you go too far you hit the other side um so that is the most exciting um but i think the four bay itself like at the main campsite is pretty epic for uh fishing swimming um boating kayaking floating you know it's got it all i think one of my favorite things about the Colorado road trip and just Colorado in general is the hot springs. I love going to hot springs. I remember one year we went to like one, it was just like randomly in a field. It wasn't even actually like a hot spring place, just a natural hot spring, but there's a lot of cool hot spring like places where you can pay to go in. What's your favorite? Do you like the hot springs? And if you do, what's yep. your favorite one? They're awesome. Um, there's actually a new one in Glenwood. Um, I think it's iron, iron tin or iron mountain or something. Um, but it's more of an established, you know, pay to go type of place, but they have whole of like arrangement of, I think it's like, they got to have like 20 or 30 pools. Um, and each one is cool. Cause they tell you what the minerals are in it and you know, all the benefits or side effects. And, um, but I mean, as far as like just walk and go, um, strawberry is pretty sweet out of steamboat. Um, but I think the one you, I don't know if it's the one you're talking about, but there's one, uh, outside of Glenwood that we used to go to that was basically right off where the bridge jump was. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and those are cool. Like it's really sweet to just go and like find that, you know, uh-huh. there's, there's one outside of uh, Kremlin, same thing. And it's like super cool, but depending on when you go there, it could be packed with, you know, four people and that's enough, you know, and it sucks. And you're like, all right, I wish I could just pay to soak. And at the end of the road trip, I think it's uh, Mount Princeton or one of those hot springs. And it, it's amazing. One of those things that a lot of people also, you know, drive home instead of doing, but it's one great way to end the road trip is soaking in a hot spring. So it's my favorite part. Recommend. I love it. And the Colorado road trip has also inspired other people to make similar road trips. Like you have the Northwest shred tour, you have like the Utica camping blade or whatever in, in Utah. You in Utah. And then I do the New England Bladen Camp, which is also inspired from the Colorado Road Trip. And it's very inspired because we do the swimming and skating. Our swimming spots aren't as cold. I mean, they're <laughs> cold. They're cold, but they're not as cold. So, and I think the difference between, like, with mine, you know, how we're talking about how it gets a little crazy. I was like, I need, like, a more, like, a, like a family-orientated, you know, camping trip. So it's just, like almost no partying i mean a little bit minimal and like mainly just like skating and 
There's been children on the Colorado road trip. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just saying, like, you know, like, like chill. I'm talking about like, like, like chill. (laughs) Um, But it's really fun. But our the problem we I have with doing an event here is Colorado has all the BLM land, like Bureau of Land Management, where you can camp pretty much anywhere in the national forest. But we don't have that. We have national forest, but we don't really have places you can pull up and camp with more than like four people or something. So, you know, right now people camp at my place and my friend Miles's place. So that's like the two bases. And I'd really wish it would open up where we could skate if we actually had the ability to camp, you know, public land. Um, and not having hot springs here is very sad. <laughs> yeah, it's now, cool. we'll see. Yeah, it's really cool. Well, have you been on any of those other trips? I know you, you've been on the Northwest Shred Tour. Yep. At least when we went to Montana. Yep, I did it that year. I went to the Southeast Road Trip through uh, Tennessee and did I've done uh, uh, Havasu, uh, Blade Havasu, which is an awesome, like, similar single campsite mm-hmm. setup. Um, it's just one skate park, which is one of the most amazingly large skate parks ever. And it's awesome. And the Montana one was fun and, you know, same point you know and it's like there are places but it's hard to get enough for a lot of people and so it's like you know we camped in you know national forest campsites which are awesome you know but there is a limit there for partying <laughs> which if we brought the road trip there we definitely have the police there real quick oh yeah i mean that was a crazy trip because first of all it was a lot of people because it was in montana and no one's really been to montana so it was like a really good reason to Gosh. go finally see montana you know so it was like a lot of people and the first night we camped on that Indian reservation in somebody's backyard and like yep. tripled the population of the town, <laughs> which was like crazy. And it was like, I mean, jam packed full of tents. Mm-hmm. I was and, sleeping between you and Frank. Yeah. That was, a, <laughs> it was like, what did I say? Was this a fucking logging camp? Shut the fuck up. And, it's just like... and, and, and on that trip too, I know that they did a little bit different because they had, well, we stayed in Glacier National Park, but they also had a state park that didn't allow dogs. And so you and me and Frank and some other people camped out in, in like the national forest, awesome logging road, like Colorado road trip style. And that was pretty cool, but it was also kind of creepy. Terrifying. And <laughs> this was the same area where like a week later, the forest ranger got killed by a grizzly bear. Yep. So we got lucky. <laughs> yeah, but we had dogs for, you know, security. So we were good. Now with dogs is another big part of the Colorado road trip. There's a lot of dogs. And it's kind of cool with the dogs because they all have little headlamps around their neck. So you just see lights <laughs> through the woods and everywhere. Yeah, and uh, what's what's the situation with the dogs on a road trip? It's obviously very dog friendly. Yeah, bring your dogs. They're, you know, it's a whole dog fiesta. Um, definitely watch your, your snacks and your, you know, secret stash of whatever because they'll find it. Especially when it gets dark, they can see and you can't. <laughs> Definitely had some horror stories of my old dog Dakota snatching like full steaks out from under people and like just looking down and it's gone. You know, it's like, holy shit, what happened? And it's like, oh God. <laughs> so, and Dakota was an awesome dog. And Dakota was not the only Dakota. There was like a lot of Dakota dogs. It was like a was popular like... dog name. <laughs> <laughs> At least Whitey and Blackie, and we lived together. Um, White Dakota and Black Dakota. Uh, yeah, and they were cruising on the road trip for many a year. So, and with all the people on the road trip, all the people at the campsites, all the partying going on, has there been any trouble with the police? Um, not 
directly, but yes, we've never gotten in trouble. Um, we had one instance where um, outside of Palisade, which is why we've moved the campsite um, on BLM land, they're, you know, starting to build houses out there. And basically the neighbors, neighbors in the middle of nowhere called the cops on us and it's BLM land. So the local police have no jurisdiction and they showed up and basically told us good job. And it was still one of my favorite stories of the road trip. And, you know, we're, we see him from a mile off. And of course, Mike Hell is just showing up. It's, you know, sundown. He's putting his tent together and the cops are rolling through these desert hills on, you know, normal sedans. And they show up and they like, you know, spotlight Mike Hell who's setting his tent up like at dusk, dark. And hey, who's in charge here? And Mike Hell just pops up from building his tent and says, rollerblading? And like, just goes back about his business and like, just shuts up, you know? And it's like, oh my God, like, <laughs> this is amazing, you know? But they called it in and they couldn't do anything. So they gave us a pat on the back for finding a spot that was out there and basically screw the neighbors. See you later. Well, um, that incident, that's when they came up to us, like, because everyone was sitting around a fire tripping yeah. mushrooms, <laughs> except me and maybe like Frank. And I was wearing my Mickey Mouse, uh, <laughs> like Christmas sweater. And they were talking to us and we were the only people sober. Yeah. And they were like, why is everybody being so quiet? And the whole time in my head, I'm like, because they're all tripping balls. And they're like freaking out. <laughs> right. But we just told them, yeah, it was just chill, you know? And then the cops liked my beard and I got photos with them all. <laughs> like it was, pretty, yeah, it was pretty funny. Like they're like, oh, our other guy's got a beard. Like let's get a photo. So it was like a group photo and I had my sweater. It was like, Same it was a pretty funny, beard. pretty funny uh, situation. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the machete incident. The machete incident. That's probably the darkest period of the Colorado road trip. Yeah, 100%. There's been, you know, other aggressive idiots, you know, people get drunk and just get stupid. But when it comes to real stupid, waking up to a guy chopping your friend with a machete and like sending him to the hospital was like terrifying. And the people who saw it were terrified. And mm -hmm. um, basically they, we called the cops, he ran and we took, Dom uh, to the hospital where he got stitched up. He got like cut all the way in his elbow, like in his ribs back here, like slashed on the back. Um, but there was like full on threats to chop his head off. And, you know, the whole, it, it was terrifying. Um, but the cops of course showed up after and most people got up and like scurried, you know, they freaked out and ran, um, which left a bunch of half burning campsites that uh, Cody Lampman actually stuck around and dealt with the fire marshal and the fire department and the police. And, you know, it was pretty serious. And the guy who had the machete, he's since been arrested and he's in jail now, right? Yeah. And I think from what I understand, he didn't quite get a slap on the wrist, but didn't get much for that. But then recent or right after that got, I think pulled a gun on somebody or something. So got, you know, a charge on top of his probation. And I think he got a pretty substantial sentence after that. So uh, prior to that, there's pretty much no rules in the Colorado road trip, right? <laughs> it's still the only rule right now is no machetes. <laughs> no machetes. And I'm pretty sure the machete incident was the same trip as the police at the in the desert campsite. I believe you are correct. Yeah. That was like the most eventful non-skating. Wait, actually, I don't know if that could be true because they were on the, the separate route. So I don't know if that is true no but, well i was on both of them so 
Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I don't know, but I know that's on the other side of the mountain. So I don't think so, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't remember exactly because I went to five of them in a short amount of time. Yep. Um, and they're a lot of fun. And one thing I, you know, I love the mountains. I love Colorado. I love hiking there. And do you do a lot of hiking like in the summertime? Yeah, um, not so much recently. I've been actually, I mean, technically hiking, but going sport climbing and, you know, enjoying some of the other features available. Um, but yeah, growing up and, you know, going to school in Boulder, I was hiking, you know, regularly. So it's definitely one of my favorite pastimes. Do you have a favorite mountain to hike? Um, I like the flat irons. They're, you know, steep as hell. They can kick your ass, but then you get some of the best rewards out of them. Um, but, you know, Clear Creek is amazing. And it's, you know, back to your point about people. Um, like I haven't been up to the Flatirons in ages because the weekends, it's like impossible. Um, you're just walking amongst tons of people. Um, at least the last two times I tried, but definitely some of my favorite spots. So after doing the Colorado road trip for 25 years, what are some of your favorite memories? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think one of my favorite memories and it's, it's a lot of them around that desert spot and it's kind of, it's like a surreal space, you know, you don't really go camp in the desert, you know, at least I don't. Um, but one year it was towards the beginning, uh, a bunch of glow sticks got broken out and somehow, uh, we were cutting them and throwing them all over the place. And, uh, a glow stick gets thrown like, you know, 60 feet and Sayer catches it over his head and just screams, give me the power. And it was just like amazing. You know, it was like full on, like just fun, pure fun. And I think same around that same time, we used to ride, uh, the topper, like the car topper topper as a sled down the plateau there and it was insane you know and going looking at it in the daytime you're like that's ridiculous there's giant patches of cacti everywhere you know and it's like okay it's like you guys are nuts and still you know some of the more exciting moments on the road trip that i can remember um and then i think something that stands out was uh, uh keaton's memorial that we did that was mm -hmm. like yeah you know breathtaking you know to see that many people come together, you know, especially on the road trip when it's complete chaos to just shut up and like reflect. For and that was a Telluride too. Yeah. I like the most beautiful location. Yeah. Spreading his ashes. The whole thing was, you know, like, it's going to make me cry. That's the stuff you remember, you know, the mm -hmm. family stuff, the, you know, playing video games in the middle of the you know, mountains in the middle of the night, just wasted with your friends screaming about Mario Kart, you know, um, or, you know, the fact that there's a hundred people at the skate park, you know, this is amazing, you know, and I think, and it's not just one time, but one of my favorite like occurrences is the shock and awe on the locals, you know, and that happens more, more so, I think when we're doing the, the moving trip, because we do show up with, you know, 70, 80 people to one skate park and the locals, the police show up just to be like, holy crap, I heard that, you know, to your point, we doubled the, the whole population of this city, you know, and it's just, it's pretty sweet. Has doing this road trip for 25 years been overwhelming at all at points for you? Um, not so much. I think, I mean, the machete thing was intense and the police showing up where, uh, who was it? Uh, was it Carson? Somebody came up to me. I think it was, uh, I don't remember, but they basically said they wanted my, the cops wanted my credit card and they were going to charge us $10,000 to like, you know, for some fee or something, of course. And I was just like, freaking out um, but the finding campsites was fun you know and i think 
for the most part, outside of, you know, people not cleaning up after themselves, that's the only thing that really irritates me. Um, and I think, you know, there's been better years than others. Um, but in most cases, I would say we clean up and leave the place better than we found it. Um, but for me, the road trip is just like you explained it. You know, it's the one time a year where I just let go and say, you know, fuck this, let's have fun, you know, and let people be people. You know, I guess this last year was some super stupid, just psycho, I think, military dudes that ended up threatening to shoot Locke and, like, shot a gun, like, in the campsite, you know, and it was, like, one of the more, like, terrifying things. And, of course, I'm sleeping through it, mostly. You know, I heard one gunshot, and I saw, like, you know, somebody brought a gun, and they're shooting a target or something. Come to find out the next morning that these guys, you know, shot a gun, and they're not our friends. And that was, like, the one time where I was full-on terrified. And it's like, oh, God, this sucks. Like, and that's when we were doing a single site. And they were camped at the same place. And that, you know, became stressful. But That's crazy. That, yeah, it's somebody had some fireworks, and they didn't like it. And Locke had the fireworks, because Locke always has the fireworks. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things, you know, <laughs> even going back 20 years, that was, you know, it used to be, I think, more people brought fireworks, and it was more of a desert thing you know mm -hmm. wait till the last night and there'd be like a firework war and you know it's in the middle of the desert way less chances of you know nonsense and no fire bans and now it's like every year we go there's no you know like super limited fire you know options and definitely no fireworks and then here comes Locke with his you know full assault you foresee the colorado road trip ever ending or is it something that's going to continue forever um, I'd love to see it continue forever. And once again, I don't think there's any limits to it. Um, and even, you know, to your point that it's already spawned off into, you know, inspired other options uh, in different locations. And I think it's going to be hilarious. You know, we're in our 60s hanging out around the campfire, like maybe going to check out the skate park, you know, like camping in the RV park, you know, <laughs> and it's still fun. And that's what's, you know, nice. And to just get together with people from around the country and world actually, you know, to just something you all can agree on, you know, and it's, it's nice. You're all friend through rollerblading. Yeah. It's a beautiful event and it's one of the coolest events in the sport of inline skating. Like if I'm going to tell people to go some somewhere, it's going to be Colorado road trip or winter clash or blading cup, you know, like those are kind of like the three main events in the sport, you know, I like hearing that. appreciate that. So it's yeah, you've nice. done a great job and, you know, you dedicated to doing anything. It's just, yeah, but it's the job <laughs> you did post on the internet. I know, but without your, without your foundation and your groundwork with the campsites and, no. you know, it wouldn't be what it is today. You know, it might run itself now, but it needed you to make it all happen to begin with. Now, another event that you're part of is the Malhai battle and the Malhai battle just had its 20th anniversary. That started in 2000, so it would be 20, 22, 21. Yeah, so also a long-standing yep. event out of Colorado. So you've got the longest road trip in skating history, and Mile High Battle has got to be one of the longest continuous street skating competitions in the sport as well. Yep. How did Mile High Battle start? Like, who was the initial people that put that together? The originator, uh, Adam, my brother, and uh, once again, Tyler Higgins. So we can all thank Tyler Higgins for creating the two longest lasting events in the industry. Um, and what their motivation was, I'm not sure, but it was when, you know, they just both started college and um, 
they, you know, Adam had built a website for the local skate scene, 5280. And, you know, as far as I know, one of the first, you know, blog type uh, forums that was created and ended up developing like a skating app through it and everything. But um, it, they took it for, I think, six or eight, eight years or so, I think, or I'm trying to remember um, when my brother finally, you know, threw in the towel when I think it might've been nine years they did it. And so, and it was, you know, figuring it out as they went and it was epic every year. And it's funny looking back at those, you know, first few years where it's, people are winning, you know, like $200, you know, and now the winner's getting three, five, you know, thousand dollars. And um, yeah, and I took it over in the 10th year, I believe. And that was like, I went from like here and like to over here, you know, welded a rail across a ditch and had a live band and shoot, edit, premiere all in the same day. Um, and I've technically stepped back two times. One time I just, you know, completely just was done. And for me, it's one of my busy seasons for work. And so it's just so much extra to put on my plate. And finally just had to like, you know, I got to step away and, you know, get my head right. Cause this is stressful. Um, and that's when like Jeff Stanger and uh, a couple other people, you know, Smiley's always been in there. Uh, Jason Mosley, um, McBay, and a bunch of other people and everyone steps up. And last year, actually McBay similarly stepped away and I was out of town. Like it was the first one I've actually missed. And uh, yeah, Jeff Stanger and Kyle and, you know, Spira, Andrew Moore, a bunch of people stepped up and, produced it zach nelson um bunch of you know great people and it's pretty amazing yeah, that's Again, awesome. it sustains itself yeah it's like everybody knows the, the the routine it's like that's really cool when you have a scene what well, also helps that you have such a big scene in denver yep. denver's got a lot of skaters it's got a lot of guys that have been around for a long time and but it's, the scene's big you know com compared to a lot of other cities now what was your favorite mile high battle I think the one where we welded the rail across the river was like next level. You know, we had a generator and live music and just people were going crazy. I mean, the cops showed up and couldn't believe that we used, you know, like anchors and anchored things into the concrete with a hammer drill. You know, we put two rails, one that was across the launch and then two in the river. You know, while my buddy uh, Odom Relic, also rollerblader Toby, was playing a live set, you know, and it was just like, you know, and that was when we when I first started doing like actual after parties, you know, and doing uh, the, I think it was, I don't even know if I did this. I don't think I did. It was the same shoot edit premiere that year, but the second year I did it, which was the 11th I did in the 12th and, you know, with Adam Montoya and, you know, a couple other people helping out, we were able to, you know, film three different spots, edit the footage and premiere it at the after party with friends who were playing a live show, you know, and it's wow. like, that's yeah, really and, cool. And three cameras, you know, so yeah. I'm going through nine hours of footage for each spot, just scrubbing, you know, just like anything someone lands, I just clipped it, threw it in a timeline and then put, you know, pre-selected music, pre-selected titles, all the graphics. And I had two hours basically from when it was over to hit export and like twiddle my thumbs and hope that, you know, the shit wouldn't crash, you know? That's amazing. <laughs> like, that's a lot of, that's a lot of uh, intense work right there. Stressful. Yeah. And it's, you know, and now it's, you know, what I tried to do last time I, and it wasn't me who was pr producing it, but trying to do live stream. And that's something I'm trying to do again this year. Live streaming the Mile High Battle. 
Yeah. yeah. We did it out of my truck with the. It's so cool how easy it is now to live stream, you know, <laughs> well, compared to. With a phone or live yeah. stream with a bunch of cameras that are being. Well, I mean, it's just still like, you know, oh, yeah, it's, it's still more accessible. Like a, a sat truck. Yeah. yeah like it didn't used to be accessible <laughs> like it is now, you know. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's like, wait, what'd you do with the truck? You put a where and you drove around and streamed a skate. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like a drone, you know. I mean, they get that kind of footage yeah. in the past. Like, exactly. You know, he had to go in a helicopter <laughs> <laughs> or like tie it to a balloon and let yep. it, let it pop and come back down. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um footage what's some of the most memorable tricks that have been done at the mile high battle oh man that's decades um i think one of my favorite uh it was just like a legit battle was Broscow and aragon and i think that was um had to have been like the sick fifth or something i don't even know but gnarly 20 stair down rail with metal edge stairs and Aragon fast lit it. And uh, uh, Roscoe went to do a true top ass. And I, I, as far as I could tell, stuck, you know, it didn't look intentional. And from our vantage at the top, he fell backwards. It looked like he just backflopped, but somehow he turns into a, a back royale, you know, and you're just like, what the, f like what just happened, you know, and seeing those back and forth pushes was insane. And, um, you know, the year PJ came out and threw down and smashed his head and, you know, went hard. Uh, I mean, every year, what was it? Uh, I mean, the, wasn't the streaming, it was three, three years ago where Kyle 180, the like 20 stair or something into the river, like path insane, you know, and it's just some of the most amazing stunt skating under that kind of pressure that just is insane, you know, and, you can't find that vibe anywhere else, you know? It's like everybody there just throwing down. Who's consistently skated the craziest throughout the history of the event? Consistently throughout? Um, that's a hard one. Jared Banning has always been, like, anytime he's competed, has been in the top, like, three I think um, second place too many times. Hopefully he'll be getting his first place sometime soon. Um, and, you know, uh, Philip Moore's been coming out and shredding the last couple of years and winning. And um, of course, Aragon, who was, you know, too good. We actually, and this was before my time, made a no Aragon winning rule, basically, where he could come skate, but there was no way he could win. It was just like, it's not fair, you know? And it's like, yeah, it's not fair. But back in the day, you know, with, uh, you know, Justin Holler or D Justin, Dustin Holler and showing up and Spicer and, you know, crazy, you know, it was, it was a thing then, you know, and it was, yeah, there's a bunch of pro level people skating, you know, and now it's like, you know, Aragon and, you know, there was nobody else on that level. And so watching him just destroy everything and it's like not even a question, you know, it's like, yep, he wins. Um, I think Cody Lampman also, like anytime he skated has done like ridiculously well and, his trick selection and, you know, overall like intensity of everything is, is top notch, you know? Cody Lampin is so good. Yeah. He's amazing. And, you know, things you couldn't like true negative soil, like on a, what, excuse me? Like, I can't even fathom that, you know, <laughs> it's like. So I've been to two of the Malha battles and the one that was the most entertaining to me was the one with the Ben Weiss truck stop. <laughs> where Ben Weiss had his truck set up That's as an memory. obstacle. <laughs> yeah. 
and he was very adamant that nobody break his window <laughs> and he broke it himself yep put his foot right through the back foot right through the back yeah and that was i mean ben weiss yeah that's another and he's he's one of those who throws down at every comp ever you know and he'll show up at the last spot just like amped up you know it's like where have you been all day it's like get out of my way i'm in a disaster this kink rail like backside and you're like what okay you know have fun ben don't kill yourself you know and so that's part of the energy i love about it and yeah that's definitely one of the more entertaining obstacles we've ever had now hosting a street competition i know one reason most of them don't stick around for that long is because the pain in the butt with dealing with the police and authority what has been your experience with that um, of course, we've had the police show up a few times in the past. I think the last year, McBay did it two years ago. The police actually like sh- full on shut us down. We're, you know, taking his info and threatening, you know, potential charges based on discussing it with the school. Um, but, you know, even in the 10th year where we bolted rails to the, you know, the ground, as long as we got it out, they didn't care. Um, but never had any like knock on wood serious uh shaking uh damages or you know anything like that so i think overall we've been pretty lucky with that that's great and you'd mentioned that the prize purse has gotten pretty big now um how you raised the money like who's sponsoring it oh like i said earlier death and glory has thrown down like the largest sum of cash that i think one person has ever donated um and obviously they're an entity um but I think it was 3,000 they threw down the first year and they pretty much did the same this last year. And I think, I think it was three. And that was like, we weren't even thinking we were going to do it. And, you know, I was trying to be non-involved and, you know, once again, the community popped up and, you know, between uh, Stanger and, you know, Kyle and a couple other people that, you know, once again, it just became committee and took it together. And um, we do get a significant, uh, contribution through GoFundMe or, you know, online stuff. And hopefully, you know, timing wise, and that's another thing that like, I felt like I couldn't give it enough time to do it right. And that's a matter of having time to do fundraisers. Um, we've done one on the ramp that was really successful, but in the past, you know, just throwing parties, we did like a, I think it was 2015, make your own shirt. We just made stencils and people showed up and paid five bucks or whatever. Um, but my parents actually, like for a long time, my mom, it was funny, like was a you know, huge supporter of the scene and uh, she would donate. And then my dad would see that she donated, you know, whatever, $200, $300. And then he'd donate more, you know, and it's like, it's my parents, you know, fighting to one up each other. To That's help really us. cool. Yeah. And you're just like, yes, thank God. And like, I'd see it and be like, Hey dad, check this out. Look what mom sent me. And it's like, fuck. All right. Now I gotta, you know, just take it to the next, not next level, which is, you know, awesome. And so I think, yeah, there's, and I think day of too, we do, that's probably about 20 or 30% of our, um, maybe even more, a little over 30% uh, percent of what we pull in is, you know, registration and uh, just on-site donations. I want to talk a little bit more about your skating. What is your favorite trick to do? Favorite? Um, it's either a back farve or a rough grind. And a rough grind is a trick you're known for. You've rough grinded some really crazy spots. You did the 244 rail in Omaha, Nebraska. That's gnarly. How do you like get good at that trick? Uh, you get hurt a lot. Um, and it's like I was first turned on to it through Seth Miner, you know, and skating in Arizona and seeing him do a rough grind where his like 
back foot, his knee is almost touching the ledge and just like super slash dance, you know? Um, but I still remember learning it and I've tried it on a, just like a six stairs, like grass rail. And I kept trying topside, you know, sweaty, like rough and just kicking over and missing, just smashing, you know, right and like right down the middle of the rail every time. And finally, once it locks, I mean, it's, it's one of the like more precise tricks and it's, you know, more precise to do, but it makes it, I think in my head easier for that reason, because it is one little point that you hit and you're done. Like it's over. How many tries would it take to do a two four four rail? Uh, I think like maybe ten. Um, and we were in the dead of heat of summer right after the Windy City riot, and we slept on the street like after the riot, just up at the uh, whatever the after party was till like four, and just drove straight there. Met up with uh, Corey Buller and took us there and I think I almost backfarved it and I was like I'm here to rough grind it and it's too hot and that's the hardest part about the rail is if you make it any ser- like serious distance you have to walk back up all those stairs mm-hmm. and especially in the summer it was like you know 100% humidity just dripping wet and you just you can't mess like if you miss you're back at the top and it's like just you don't the energy just doesn't last what was your favorite rough grind you've ever done was it that one or something else um, I think that one in the S rail, like going back to like the things that got me excited about skating, you know, like watching the uh, hoax tour come through and skate the S rail before I even had been to Boulder, you know, I ended up going to school there. Um, but I rough grinded the S rail first try after a Mizu first try, which was like, if you ever skated the rail, it's next to impossible, you know, just doing a single trick down it is a fucking pain in the ass. And you know, of course, I've skated a bunch of times by then and was going to school there and it was just like holy shit back to back first tries and one was a rough ground and it's like a thick rail so it's scary on that last curve like you know getting over and not dying um and then i think the there's a kink trail in uh chicago i forget what university it's at but hanging out with all those dudes and i think it's a depending on how many how you count your kinks a triple kink um but yeah, full just commit, and there's no, you know, going half-ass on that one. So that's pretty gnarly too on a kink row. Yeah. Wow. And who like that clip at the S rail? It was filmed, right? I remember seeing that. And what video was that in? I don't even know if it made it to a video. Um, I'm trying to remember, it may have been in like a Billy Costa film of some sort, maybe, but. I've got it on my Facebook. I compiled like six or seven rough grinds. Okay, that's probably where I saw it done on your Facebook. Yeah, one of my like favorites, like most terrifying, was at DU. There's like a university here that has like these super fat square box rails and rough kind grind a drop rail that was like you know 25 foot drop and that was a one time go. And it's low rail and same thing. It's just if you just hit it and that's it, you know. I have to see that one. Is, this, is that in the same edit? No, that doesn't exist. And oh, it doesn't. I think it was, there was somebody from Daily Bread there shooting stills and something happened and it didn't make it anywhere. But I think there was a a date on the photo or something. Um, but that was the only coverage of that event, sadly. And as far as photos go, did you ever have photos of magazines? Um, of me, the Daily Bread, doing an alley mm-hmm. fish brain on the road trip. Okay. The Frisco Park. Right. Pretty much. I think one of the only photos I've had, and it's nice to see magazines actually coming back. 
Yeah, it is really cool. It's like for a while there weren't any. <laughs> I mean, they're a lot more expensive now. <laughs> oh yeah, I feel like people are understanding that and paying for it, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when you don't have advertising, you know, you gotta. <laughs> I know all about increase that. Your... Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, what was the first video you were in? Uh, probably hoax five, like an actual like real video or battle my crew too. BG 16. So a while ago doing a far Nugan. which is one of your favorite tricks next yep. to the rough, <laughs> rough grind. Um, it came a little later. What was your proudest moment in your skating career? Proudest moment. That is a, wow. Um, I don't know. I think the mile high battle after my mom had passed away. And like, she was like the rock, you know, of the family and supporting skating. And, you know, you can, I mean, she drove all the way out to Lyman from our house to pick up the hoax five dudes when their uh, RV broke down, you know? So uh-huh. all of a sudden, like my mom drops everything to go pick up, you know, Aaron Feinberg and, you know, Josh Clark and Matt Andrews and all these people. And it's like, holy shit, like, what's my mom doing? You know, like, fuck yeah, she's a rock star, you know, <laughs> like, that's she's awesome. Badass. Yeah. And like, then of course my dad was there the whole time supporting us and the two of them, when, like, when she passed, it was devastating. You know, she was, you know, it was a week, a week from now, four years ago. Um, but, uh, Justin Barr actually painted a portrait of my mom and, you know, I dedicated that edit to her and it was hard, but at the end, you know, seeing how many people that she had touched and like the family that I had, you know, like that mm-hmm. support was very humbling, you know, and like very proud moment. No, it's just like, holy shit, like this is amazing. You know, like people care and, you know, and a lot of, you know, in aspects of my life, you don't have that kind of support, you know? And so that's where it's pretty sweet to have that kind of experience. Yeah. That's very beautiful. Um, well, when were you in your prime? your skating prime um that's i would say you know mid 20s college like end of college um i guess end of high school going into college and that's when you know everyone and their mom was it was hammerville you know and i never you know i did a couple of bigger tricks but i was more into just grinding long big rails and that's what i love so but so when i was the most technical and you know could do like I don't know, the same 15, 20 tricks on every, whatever rail you put in front of me, steep down rail, long, whatever. What was the last time you learned a new trick? Um, not too long ago. I learned a new switch up on the ramp, rough KG to Savannah or unit. Is it Alley unity? Um, <laughs> but yeah, the like old Billy Prislin edit or, you know, redo of the kind grind to unity, you know? And so, or backstab, but rough KG to Savannah. I actually landed it. So. Have you ever done a true rough kind of grind? Yes. Yes, I have on a couple uh, of different rails. That's a good trick. It's terrifying. Is that in the video? No. The, that was like little dinky, uh, where was it? Hinkley was like an old six stair, um, like way back in the day. And it was terrifying. Way back in the day, Love Harden lived in um, Fort Collins. Did you ever skate with him back then? Did you ever meet him? Not really. Um, it's funny because that same NIS I was talking about where I met uh, Kolosh, um, and, you know, later he ended up at my house in Hoax 5. 
but it was uh was he there i don't know if he was there for that but either way i got a uh, cryptonics poster signed by b love um renee holgreen aj brian smith Corey. you know it was and b harden and i think he's the one on it i think if i remember correct doing a front side in his big old you know tube socks and his cut you know jean shorts it's pretty sweet that's awesome yeah, he was I met awesome. B around that time when he moved back to Houston. Yeah, he was a cool dude. Yeah, um, the forefathers. Yeah, for sure. Now he's into gaming. He's like him and his oh, son shit. are like <laughs> pro gamers. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty rad. We live in now. <laughs> I know, right? It's like funny because you know, like in X Games, they've got like gaming and stuff like that. So, <laughs> yep. <laughs> And as far as like the, the skate scene in Denver, you know, I'd mentioned a couple of times that there's a lot of skaters, there's a lot of spots. How has the scene changed and evolved since your early days there? I think it's just gotten bigger in an awesome way. Um, and I think we're lucky because, you know, there are some larger cities, you know, uh, Fort Collins, the Springs, stuff like that, Boulder, that aren't too far away. And they are destination places for education, so you have a bunch of people that are coming and going. Um, and then, you know, I think partially because of the road trip, there's been a bunch of people who've moved here, you know, after experiencing it, like the whole Texas crew, BLC, and, you know, um, the just amazing talents that are coming from all over that are, you know, keeping the sport alive. And I think back to skate parks, having that many skate parks is, it's more accessible. And so, you know, even going to dust, you can see these kids that, you know, they see the difference. They know that guy's been skating for 30 years that what the hell are those skates? Those are aggressive skates. Those are wizard skates. They get it and they have means and the access to it. Like you can go to a skate shop and buy stuff. That wasn't a thing when I was a kid, you know, so there were the local five, six people, you know, that we skated with all the time, um, but no internet, you know, no cell phones. So it was super, you know, just like everything, smaller community and now through you know posting on facebook and showing up to a skate park once a week on thursdays and having anywhere from two people to 30 people show up and some scenes have never even been close to 30 people mm -hmm. you know and that's what's awesome and so it's it's great and seeing you know it's super beneficial to have you know i think the skate park is also a huge you know uh, attraction to people moving here, especially after the road trip. And if you're into any sort of outdoor activity, you know, you come from a place where half the year you can't do anything because it's too hot or it's too cold, you know, during the winter. And Denver has something to do all year round. And the one thing we do lack, um, which has become, you know, it's always like in fluctuation is indoor skate parks. Um, but there's always some reprieve from the snow in some way. And generally it goes away pretty quick. So a lot of the parks, you know, especially with all the people tend to make them, uh, you know, shovel them out or whatever but um the way it's going it's just going to keep expanding and seeing mm -hmm. you know especially with what rachel's done with dust and they've been super supportive you know and she's aggressive skater too um the cross you know advertising and support between the aggressive scene the quad scene is now like you know merged into it and you know seeing blading cup coming up with their quad series in this uh is it may um and it's same thing here. It's great. So hopefully it keeps pushing and, you know, we'll have 200 people here skating in no time. And I know it's winter now, but the Thursday night skate park sessions, that's still like a thing that's been happening. It's been going on for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And similarly to, you know, everything gets passed on and people get busy and, you know, it's 
uh, Jeff Gonring's taking it over now, and he's, you know, it's once again, it, it's not nothing, but somebody's got to do it. You know, it's like make one post a month and then follow up when the weather changes. And that's what, you know, sucks. And you don't have to show up, but at least let people know where to go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's been a while since I've been on a road on a uh, TNR, but I need to get back out there. So it, as far as people moving to Denver to skate, you had mentioned Texas skaters. Now, there was a period where there was a lot of Texas skaters <laughs> in Denver. And I know people in Colorado traditionally don't necessarily like people from Texas that much. <laughs> So how did people react in Denver to their scene being just having this huge influx of skaters from Texas? I, I didn't see any, I mean, nothing but positivity, I would say, you know, a bunch of younger kids who were stoked, you know, literally to skate party and hang out. So, you know, all good things. Cool. Well, Denver is definitely a melting pot. Is there any other cities who've had uh, a lot of people move there? Not in that amount you know and i think it was more of like crew like almost entire crew move you know um and there's people yeah from all over the country that have moved here but it's just one mm-hmm. you know and either through you know, skate camp or wherever they've met somebody else from colorado so they come in already being a part of the scene um, or being on the road trip or coming out for a battle you know so um, and that's what's awesome. Everyone already feels like family. You know, it's not like some invasion of our scene. You know, I think just like anywhere, there there are cliques. You know, people hang out with people they like. You know, that's the nature of you know people. But yeah, when it comes to you know, especially at the battle, it's sweet to see that many people come out and people you don't see every day or mm-hmm. you haven't skated with in you know three months and they're just shredding. So awesome. Just, yeah, nothing quite. I think to the level of. Uh, amount as texas yeah texas goes big everything's bigger in texas and from texas (laughs) now that's pretty much wraps up most of the questions i had for you i do want to end with one question i like to ask people and what is it about inline skating that's kept you in the sport for such a long time i think the community that's you know it's like you know i hate to say family but it is you know and there's there's ups and downs there's great times there's drama but just like your family most of the time at least in my experience you can get over things and it's something you can share in common that transcends you know borders you know gender race any of that and so it's like it's a universal at least leveling ground for people you know that skate and so just like i'm saying i could probably go to any almost any country in the world and post up on facebook hey I'm in town, need a place to stay, want to go skate. And I'd get some sort of response, literally almost any country in the world. And I don't know how many other people can say that, you know, from any other, you know, you can't go play baseball and just show up in, you know, Chile and post up, say, hey, I'm here, want to play some baseball. I brought my bat, you know, like that's not a thing as far as I know, you know. And so having that connection, that community that, you know, just transcends space and it's great. It's amazing. Yeah. That is one of my favorite things about this sport as well. And I've taken advantage of that a lot, you know, throughout my time in the sport. Remember, like in 1999, when I went to Europe for the first time, when I filmed for Last Call, I was there for about six months, seven months. Didn't have a lot of money. And I just posted that I was going there on different message boards that they had back then, bulletin board systems. And I had a place to stay probably every night, but maybe like three, you know, in different cities around Europe and like, 
with people's families and it was really yeah, cool was you know 99 you know like, yeah and nowadays you'd have to like fight off places to stay you know which is a good problem to have you know but what i did not realize when i made this trip is that i would be working for daily bread in san diego only a year later yep so every single person wanted to come to yep. san diego <laughs> and stay at my house so i had like a hotel for like 10 years in san diego people just yep. stayed with me for guy taking advantage of the socal crew going a long time i mean those people would stay for like months <laughs> you know why wouldn't you san diego's amazing year round yeah i remember like especially during asr uh the asr trade show so many people would stay at my house i had this little studio apartment in downtown san diego it was very small and i had a bed and there was like 12 people sleeping there i had they would have their legs underneath my bed it's just like their the torsos out of it. It was me sleeping in the bathroom floor, in the bathtub, and the kitchen floor, and everyone was snoring. And I had a stick next to my bed, and I was just whack people with it. <laughs> oh, uh, that was funny time. with the snoring. Yeah, so that's back before my snoring. So you know, now I really appreciate you coming on the show. I don't know if there's any yeah. topics like we didn't cover that you wanted to get into. No, I mean, it was great to be brought on, you know, it's cool to still be doing something, you know, and seeing people still doing it, you know, it's amazing. Once again, I, I don't skate like I used to, but when I do, I like to have fun and that's about it, you know, and it's cool to see how everything, you know, how many people are doing what you're doing right now in this scene, which is awesome, you know? Yeah, I appreciate it. It's accessible. It's great. It was really nice to have you on here. It was really good hearing about the history of the road trip. Malhai battle, your personal history and with your brother, like fills in a lot of gaps for a lot of people who know you and might not know that history. So I really I appreciate you coming on. I'm not the naked one. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Everyone should know that now. Yeah. And hopefully that clears it up. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, I really appreciate you coming on. It was great talking to you. It's been too long. I really look forward to seeing you again in person Definitely. in Denver sometime. Maybe you can come out to Vermont for our Vermont trip sometime, you know, to or to snowboard or whatever, you know, anytime. So Definitely anyway, thank good you so you. much. And I look forward to seeing you in the future. Yes, sir. Have a good night. That's a wrap for episode 19 of the Then and Now Blading podcast with Luke Bender. Like I said at the beginning of the interview, Luke is a legend in the sport. He's done so much for the Denver scene and skating in general. He's brought together so many people from around the country with the Colorado road trip. It's just a really significant and important event in the sport. And you should definitely make it out to that event if you have it already. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you do, make sure and hit the like button. This is going to be the second to last pre-recorded interview I'm doing. The next one is with Jeremy Baytal. That'll be episode 20. And starting with episode 21, all of the interviews will be live. So to catch those live, make sure you subscribe to this channel and hit the bell icon to be notified anytime I'm going live or upload a new video. Make sure to follow me on social media. I've linked to my Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram in the description below. If you enjoy this podcast and all the shows I'm doing on the Then and Now Blading YouTube channel, consider becoming a Patreon supporter. Patreon members get exclusive content not available on this channel and also get entered into monthly giveaway drawings from merch from the Then and Now Blading store and sometimes some things from my personal collection. Thanks again for joining me. I look forward to seeing you all at episode 20 with Jeremy Baytal. Until then, take care.